I would like to draw your attention, if I could, to the book of Matthew. We're going to go to the book of Matthew. Um, I am going to exercise a little bit of pastoral privilege tonight and leave our Focus 52 chapter for this week. Uh, I felt led of the Lord today to uh, do what we're getting ready to do tonight. So if God will help us, uh, I'm going to teach to you a little bit this evening from the book of Matthew. Praise God. Matthew chapter 28. Praise God. Now, it's really hard for me to read from this chapter and teach what I'm going to teach because I want to teach what I want to teach out of Matthew 28. I, I love Matthew 28. It is, uh, it is revelation. It is power. It's authority. It's one of the greatest glimpses into who our Messiah and Savior Jesus Christ is. It is absolutely incredible. Um, so because of that, uh, I at least want to read the part that I really want to preach, and then we'll go on to the part that I want to teach, all right? Let's go to 28 and 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, this is, this is revelation right here. All power. Everybody say all power. There's, there's no other source. That's it. That's what it means. It's all power. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Somebody say there's none above him. There's none beside him. There's none beneath him. He's all by himself. Amen. And that's what I want to preach, but I'm not going to. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, you know now where my power is. I have the power in heaven. I have the power in the earth. So I'm going to give you a commandment. And here's the commission. Go into all the world. Somebody say go. go. Look at your neighbor and ask him tonight. Say, is your go broke? Here's what your Bible says. Go ye therefore. Teach all nations. Nobody's excluded. They don't care what color your skin is. don't care what language you speak. don't care if you're rich or poor, first world, third world. It don't matter. He said, teach all nations. Okay? Baptizing them in the name. Does anybody know what the name is? Jesus. Amen. Mark said it so plainly, recording the same exact words that Jesus uh, said here in Matthew. He said that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in my name. There is only one name, the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Is anybody glad you know the name? Yes. Praise God. He said, I want you to teach all nations, I want you to baptize them in the name, and I want you to teach them to observe, this is so powerful, it's that word again that we don't like. 
whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And somebody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about making disciples. I want to talk to you about making disciples. In your Bibles, Matthew, the 28th chapter, where we read tonight, there is an interesting word in the English language that is so easy for us to overlook the context of if we're not careful. Uh, I feel like this evening that God did, did something very special here on Sunday night. I feel, I really do. I feel like God did something very special here. We're going to kind of deal with this hidden treasure in Matthew 28 by picking up from where we were on Sunday night. Sunday night, we were admonished, I felt like, by the, heart, by the Holy Ghost, by the heart of God, to go beyond the garden, to get outside of the church, to go tell somebody about Jesus. What does it look like? So here, uh, tonight we're going to deal with if you guys will just give me a little bit of privilege, I'm probably not going to do any backflips down the middle aisle, but I really want to get something in your spirit, if that's okay. I, I, I feel like God is going to help us tonight. I want you to tune in and tap in and get ready for what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to pick up a little bit of where I was on Sunday night and tell you God did not save us for us to just sit in the garden and relax and enjoy the goodies in the garden. Amen. The goodies in the garden are there for us to be blessed with. They're there for us to dress and to keep and thank God for it. But there is a large percentage, and I wouldn't even jump out there and try to guess a percentage because I'd probably miss it. But there is a large percentage of what happens in a large percentage of apostolic churches that is geared 100% inward. We are geared very much to what satisfies us, what pleases us, what we like, kind of our style, our way of doing things, and we're very, very inwardly focused. And uh, it's really, really hard, I'm going to say it like this, and it's probably going to make you uncomfortable, but it's really, really hard to produce children when you only love people of your own kind. And that went over like a lead balloon. It's very hard for us to produce children in the kingdom of God when we live in perpetual echo chambers. We share the word with people that know the word. We discuss the word with people that know the word. Very rarely when we're sharing the word with somebody is there ever any debate because everybody we talk to already believes what we believe. And then when we come up against somebody that does not believe what we believe, you would think we had been smitten with the bubonic plague. We get the gurgle guts. We get knots in our throat. We're scared to death. They're going to ask us something we don't have an answer to. Let me tell you all something. You don't have to have an answer. This word will stand on its own. It's powerful. It's powerful. I love teaching the Word of God. I love preaching. I love teaching it like this. I love teaching it at a table. I love teaching it one-on-one. I love to get together with people and teach the Word of God. But there is something about our perception of what the kingdom of God looks like that I believe God wants to radically revolutionize in the end time. 
We have got to get beyond the idea that our salvation so rich, so full and free. That was a good old song, by the way. Like five of you know the song. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give him more of me. Our salvation so rich, so full and free is just for us. For us to be happy. For us to be satisfied. It's like there is something about the apostolic culture in North America that I don't really know what it's going to take to break the back of it. And it's very simply that once we get saved, we get comfortable. Is it tight or y'all just listening? When we get saved, we get comfortable. And we get, we get our ideas of what it's going to look like, how it's going to be. Uh, I was sitting at the table, I, I want to say it was, uh, may have been last night with, with Brother Jordan when I, I made this statement, it just came to me. I, I said, I wonder, I wonder if the rapture is going to be like way, way different than what we've imagined it to be. And I say it for a reason, because we don't like to admit this, but we are absolutely one of the most traditional movements in the whole world. We are. We have our own language, we have our own words, we have our own things that we do. And it's kind of like when you move into a new school and people are saying stuff, you go to a new job, you know, like I feel like I live in a new world all the time with teenagers. They say stuff that I'm like, what, what's that mean? I, I mean, I don't even know. Some of it, I'm scared to say up here. Some of it, it might be, I don't know, it might be cussing or something. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I hope not. They got these crazy, this crazy language that they're talking about now. You know, I'm like, I, I, I kind of like things a certain way. I like my pants to be ironed. I like my shoes to be shined. I like just right, you know. So I'm talking about doing things right. And my daughter's like, you're bougie. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm particular. And then they're like, Haha, you said it wrong. Yeah, so it's like if I want to call it booge or whatever I want to call it, I'm going to call it that because what I like. And Pentecost is the same way. We got our little colloquialisms and we got our little sayings that we do and our, 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 our little niches. Come on, somebody. This church is absolutely friendly. I hope to God that when our guests come, they, they, they speak about the friendliness of this church and they often do to me, thank God. That we are very loving, we're very open. But listen, I'm going to tell you, we're a tough nut to crack. We'll love people, but it's difficult to get in. It takes a little while to find somebody to go out to eat with. It takes a little while to find somebody. How we get this picture is amazing because we get in this cycle. And you don't, you don't think we got a cycle and you don't think we're traditional you ought to be the one up here preaching on Sunday when altar call is supposed to be happening at 12 and it's 12.15 and I'm still preaching. We are traditional. Man, I, it's so funny. People get to looking at their watches, looking at their phone like they're reading their Bible. You sorry, sapsucker. You're not reading your Bible. You are absolutely looking at the clock right now. I know what you're doing. And so, like, we're, we're something. We're very predictable people. We're, we're very predictable people, and I'm not saying this to tear us down, okay? Please understand that. There's some things I don't ever, ever want to change, but I like it. But our movement's so funny because 
there's about, at any given time in Pentecost, there's about a half dozen songs that you're going to hear at any conference, any camp meeting, and a couple of them going to have dance rhythm to it, dance shout music, and all you got to do is get it just right, turn that on, and young people are sweating in 10 minutes. It's disgusting. They, they get it, man. They, you know, it's just kind of the way it is. I love that. I love the running, the shouting, the dancing. But it's amazing what happens when we get out of our routines. And when, when we're not singing the things that we want to sing, and it's, you know, it's just kind of different. Thank God this church has flexibility. We start, the first song I sang tonight was on the worship list for tonight. That's it. You're welcome. Pastor's prerogative. It just happens that way, right? Because there's a flow in the Holy Ghost, and this church has always been flexible with that. And I thank God for that. I don't ever want to lose that. But I'm saying we cannot sit back and be critical of all of the movements in this world and talk about how traditional they are without taking a long, hard, critical look at our lives and our church and our values and how traditional we have become in so many ways. And it's very, very interesting. You know, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. And again, I don't want it to go away. But if I started preaching Matthew 28, 19 right now and started preaching about the power of the name, this place would go berserk. Because you love the name. Right? It's like there are these key things that we can preach and we can say, and I can't help it. My wife says everything I preach ends up being oneness. I don't know how, but it does. And so there's just these little niches that we get into. And then we get our circle and our friends, and that's pretty hard to break. It's like, you don't have to ask nobody who you're going out to eat with next Sunday. Like, we know. It's all good. What, 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 what are you going to do? What time are you going to get here? Like, honest to goodness, I can come out of the office, and I can just about tell you every service who's going to be in the prayer room and who's going to come in five minutes after I do. I just know. It's like, we, man, we, we get our routines. Everybody comfortable? Is everybody all right? Shoot, I'm not doing a good enough job. I want all of you uncomfortable. I want everybody uncomfortable. When the Lord spoke about the church for the very first time ever, the first time the word ecclesia is ever used in the scripture, he puts it in the context of, upon this rock I'll build my church. Listen now. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Somebody shout warfare. It's amazing that the context of the church before its birth was warfare. I just want you to look around tonight at some of these warriors. They're ready to go to sleep. You understand what I'm saying? Warfare, man. I'm a, I'm a warrior. Oh, I'm a warrior until pastor preaches 10 minutes too long. Then I'm not a warrior. We preach about victory. Now, I'm, I'm going to get hard for just a second, okay? I'm going I'm, I'm to say some hard things right here. We preach about victory, but we never want to fight. We preach about deliverance, but we don't want to cast out no devils. Because that's spoofy. Come on, somebody. We preach about harvest, and, and, and here it goes. Y'all just read, we're going to fifth gear right here. We preach about harvest and dance and shout and huckabuck 
and run the aisles when, when somebody gets up and prophesies, we're about to see the greatest harvest ever. What's that look like? Does it look like showing up one Sunday morning because another pandemic hits and we just pull in the parking lot and there's 743 people standing out there saying, this is the place I've heard about and God told me to come here. No, it ain't going to work. Here, listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. I want you to think long and hard about this. I'll, I'll try to get better in just a minute, okay? I want you to think long and hard about this. We rejoice about a fantasy idea, okay? Just stay with me. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. We rejoice about a fantasy idea that we are going to have supernatural growth that supersedes our present attendance and that people are going to automatically fit into our preconceived culture. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, we hear people say, I'm, I'm praying for a 3,000 soul revival. What do you think would happen if 3,000 souls came to this church and we had to go to five services a weekend? Come on now, listen to me. And you couldn't come with the same people you came with before and you didn't get the same seat you always had. And your world looked really different because there's a snot-nosed brat sitting where your kid should be sitting. And you don't get to go to the service you want to because that one's full. So you're in another one. All of a sudden, you don't want a 3,000-soul revival. As a matter of fact, some of us get really perturbed about a 13-soul revival because it means we get less of somebody else's time or less of pastor's time or less winks from pastor or less high fives. Or Come on, somebody. Listen, God is, is, is evolving this church to a place where we are absolutely readying ourselves that when the harvest is coming because we're activating, when the harvest comes, we walk in and we're so excited. We're like, I don't care if I got a seat or not. You can sit in my seat. I'll go get a folding chair and sit on the back wall. I'll do whatever I've got to do, but I'm believing God that he is changing the way we're thinking. Somebody say amen. A few years ago, I preached. Somebody asked me for real if it was serious. This is, I think, before the Babylon Bee got some traction. But uh, the Babylon Bee, great, great, great news company. You can almost trust as much as most every other news outlet. Uh, the Babylon Bee is a parody outlet of news. And uh, I preached one night. Now, seriously, I preached one night about this Babylon Bee article where they said this woman... Uh, had sat in the same seat for so long in her church that they, they bronzed her at her passing and set her on the seat where she always set a bronze statue of it. And I put the article up there, Babylon B, on the platform, on the, on the screen. And somebody asked me if I was serious, that they really bronzed that woman and put her in the church. No, no it was a Babylon B. But I'm going to tell you, they're probably not far off. <laughs> if it was legal, some would. <laughs> Being honest with you, if it was legal, some would. You don't believe that? I've almost seen fist fights and brawls in the in the uh, in the prayer room because somebody got somebody else's seat, and it ain't it ain't good. I'm like, my God, if we can't get the Holy Ghost in here, we are done. <laughs> <laughs> It's bad. You talking to me? <laughs> you talking? I'm here trying to pray. You talking to me? I'm like, hey, 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 chill, chill. Just go pray somewhere else, please, and stay extra long. It gets, it's just frustrating, you know. We're we're in our niche, but Jesus said, "My church 
is going to be fighting the gates of hell. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail. We are predestined for greatness. But we are not predestined for harvest. What do you mean? Because Jesus said, don't you look on the fields and say it's three months, four months, six months, 12 months, then comes a harvest. He said, look right now. Because the fields are white already to harvest. He said, don't pray for harvest. He said, pray for laborers. Okay? So here comes the paradigm shift. And in 2022, you're going to hear a lot about this. I'm going to be pushing for this a lot. So is, is this okay? Can I just talk to you from my heart for a few minutes? I want to tell you what God is going to, going to do in this church over the next several months. He's going to be working on us. And I want to show you the difference in masses... Huddled masses of people, which is important to keep our name in the community, block parties, park services. These are all great. But I want to show you what the model looks like. How do I make a disciple and where does disciple making come from? It's tucked away in Matthew 28 and 19. The word is teach. 19 of 28. Go into all the world and somebody shout teach. It's easy to run past in the English language because they just said the word was teach. Uh, the actual word in the Greek is mathetuo, and this is what it means. It means to make a disciple, literally. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and make disciples. That's the literal translation of teach. You can look it up. I'm not lying to you. This isn't Matthew Henry, it's the Greek word. Teach. Make disciples. What is he talking about? Let me ask you folks something tonight. If Jesus had 5,000 men plus their wives and children, and he's breaking bread with them, and he is uh, breaking fish and dispersing it among them, they're all eating their 12 baskets full. Do you believe that there were 5,000 disciples there? And if so, why didn't he call them disciples? How many did he call disciples? Twelve. He called twelve disciples, not five thousand. Because five thousand people were there for the movement. They were there for the miracle. They were there for the, for the blessing. They were there for the multiplication. I hate to say this to you tonight, uh, but the picture that you get at the end time is really not, it's really, it's really not that, what's up? It's really not that amazing. There's two grinding at the mill, one's taking, one's left. There's two in the bed, one's taking, one's left. What's that mean? It means 50%. Y'all with me? It's a narrow way and few there be that find it. But we got to expose everybody we can, Pastor. We got to expose everybody we can. We got to get it in the newspaper. We got to get it up there on the, on, on the billboards. I believe if we put a billboard in Anderson, this church would triple. I don't. Why don't you? I don't because you got to have the infrastructure of people that can help if we triple. It, for this church to triple, that means every single person in this church has to personally disciple three people. What does that mean to personally disciple somebody? It's not a beautiful picture. Go into all the world and make a disciple. What does it look like? 
Well, the master disciple maker is telling them to make disciples. He made 12. How did he do it? He went to where they worked and he said, hey, come with me. He went to where they lived and said, follow after me. Come to where I am. Come watch what I'm doing. Come see what I'm saying. What did he say in 28 uh, and 20? Let's look one more time real quick. 28 and 20. Teach them to do what? To observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. If you're making disciples, you are commanding them, telling them to do what you've been commanded, do what the Lord said to do. Now, this is interesting. Because the mass crowd of people is what everybody is drawn to. You know how you get mass crowds? And, and listen, I'm going to tell you all something. You, you probably think I'm shallowing this out. You've got to have the administration. All that. I understand it, but I'm going I'm to tell you. Here's a way to get mass crowds. It don't cost very much. Offer them something fun that they can't get anywhere else. And you can do it in the name of God and they'll flock. I'm being honest with you. Build sweet looking buildings. Offer fun programs. I told you about the woman I met at the mega church in, in Dallas. Uh, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I was in Dallas and she said... Yeah, we didn't go to this church. I just worked in the bookstore. But when I, when I decided that they had programs here that fit my daughter better than the church that I was at, this is where we came. You selected a church based on a program that they had. Now, we need programs. I believe we need to raise up programs. Programs are important. Don't think I'm taking away from the power of what they are because uh, they're not the number one priority. But I do want to say this to you. People that come to the house of God should never have to hunt for fellowship. We ought to never have guests here that have not met at least 10 or 15 people. We ought to have every guest that comes here ought to say, next time they come, I, I remember that face, but I can't remember their name because, my goodness, I met so many people. So I'm fixing to get into some things that's, that's going to help us. So Jesus... Is telling his disciples and approximately 500 to go in Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Right? Don't leave Jerusalem. He said, go wait for the promise. And you've heard me preach this so many times through the years. But it's vitally important where we are. 500 people received the commandment to go wait. On the day of Pentecost, there's 120 in the upper room. 380 approximately fall off between the commandment and the fulfillment. Why does this happen? Because they were not disciples. They were people that followed after a ministry. They were not people who were truly converted. They were people that came late to the scene. Okay? Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about the shape that he's in when he tells these people this. He's been resurrected from the dead. He's in a resurrected body. He, he, he's so powerful looking, shining like the sun. He tells uh, some followers on the road to Emmaus who he is. They didn't even recognize him till they opened their understanding. Like, he's in a powerful way right now. He's getting ready to ascend into the heavens. He's in a powerful way right now. And they still were not inspired enough to listen. But out of the 12 that Jesus poured into for three years, it was not about just inspiration. It was about making disciples. And on the day of Pentecost, 11 of the 12 were there because one of them had died. I want you to look at the success rate of return. 
when he's in a resurrected form and everybody feels goosebumps and sees angels and sees him ascend into the heavens and disappear into the glory clouds, all of those people, 380 of them, walk away and say, that was a cool experience. But 99 plus percent of the people that he poured into for three years were with him when his spirit came on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Ghost. Why is that? Because you don't make disciples at an event. You do not make disciples at church service. You do not make disciples on Sunday. You make disciples when you go to where they are and you connect with them and you build relationship with them and you love people that are hard to love and you put up with people that are hard to put up with and you hang out with people that don't smell like you and they don't look like you and they don't know what you know and they don't believe what you believe. Man, somebody shout amen or oh me. He said, go into all the world, make disciples. Why didn't he say, go into all the world and have good church? I've preached crusades. I love it. I, <laughs> there was one, one particular, I talk about my grandfather all the time, I know it. But there was one particular missions work through the years. Used to claim thousands and thousands and thousands, get the Holy Ghost every year at crusades. My papa used to tell me when we talk about it, he'd say, He'd say, no, if, if everybody got the Holy Ghost that so-and-so said at every crusade, he said, everybody in that country would have the Holy Ghost four times. <laughs> That's probably true. We call that evangelistically speaking. <laughs> Slightly embellished. We don't have to prop God up. I've, I've preached crusades. I like it. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the thousands of people getting the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to say something to you that may rock your world. Somebody getting the Holy Ghost is not the same as somebody getting converted. I pray for a lot of people that spoke in other tongues and you can see the Holy Ghost all over them. And they went right back out to a bottle or a bed, a house, shacking up, doing what? I mean, what do you, I mean, what do, you do? It's like. People are people. It's going to take a while for them to overcome. They're, they're, you know? My goodness gracious. I have, uh, I have stopped and obeyed the Holy Ghost and give people money. I don't want to give people money. Because th well, they're going to go spend it on something else. I'm going to tell you, the Lord tests us sometimes not because of what they're going to buy. But because he wants to know what owns us and runs us. Come on, somebody. Sometimes he'll get us to stop and talk to somebody. Not had nothing to do with what they're going to do. He's wanting to see what we're going to do. Now, I drive by a lot of them, too. Don't get me wrong. This city's full of them. It's like every stoplight on the south end of town, anywhere close to the casino. I'm like, you're barking up the wrong tree, Jack. Them jokers are going there to lose all their money. Like, you ain't going to be getting nothing from them. Like, it'd be a miracle. My point to you is that discipleship looks very different to what we're doing right here, right now. What do you mean, Pastor? Now, this is going to make people uncomfortable. Lord Jesus, help me, God. Let them still like me when I say this. You know, you can be a member and not be a disciple. 
You can be a member of a church, put it in your obituary when you die. I was a member of the FPC for 25 years. What's the real story? They came to church, still have no clue what they believed. Oh, my, my. It's tied up in here, but it's right. It is vitally important that you and I understand the power of what Jesus was saying to us. He was saying to us, I want you to personally go and make disciples. And your, your prerogative, your priority, what becomes paramount in your life is not putting rear ends on church pews. It is making disciples. Well, but pastor, we want church growth. No, church growth is a byproduct of disciple making. It is a byproduct of disciple making because when people see how much you love God and what a difference he's made in your life and how special you are to them and the goodness that's in your life, eventually they're going to acquiesce to the idea that your way of life is way better than theirs and they're tired of drugging and drinking and all the stuff they've been smoking up. And eventually they're going to come walking in here on just the right Sunday where the temperature's just right and they're going to say, there's something stickability in here. There's something that makes me want to hang around this place amen man I've taught Bible studies to people for 25 26 27 weeks and they're not sitting here tonight well pastor what are you going to do with that was that you wasted your time no I didn't waste my time because someday they're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say now you had 26 weeks of teaching you know that you were to be baptized in my name filled with my spirit why were you not? What are you saying? I'm saying that's on them. It's not on me. But I would rather it be on them than be on me when God gives me the opportunity to teach them and I withhold that and don't build relationship and love those people. Woo! Somebody shout, go! Make disciples! How do I do that? You are involved in the process of maturing people into children of God. You take the time to develop. Now, I'm going to get real with you again. Y'all know I'm not being ugly tonight, right? I'm just talking to you. I'm going to tell you one of the biggest things that hinder us from making disciples. You ready? We're scared to death that our disciples are going to act like we do. It adds a whole different level of accountability. When me and my wife got married, you know, like, we got married, and we're like, you want to go get something to eat? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just go get something to eat. You get three babies. Got diapers. You got girls that come home from school and decide just as it's dinner time, they're going to get in the shower. Where's Graceland? <laughs> like dinner sitting on the table. Where's Graceland? She's in the shower. Oh, okay. You want, you, I'm saying when you get kids involved, it's a whole different level of accountability. And you think differently. Listen to Pastor now. I'm, I'm being honest with you. You think differently when you got people that are coming to church and on a normal weekend you'd have stayed home or you'd have went to the lake or you'd have went and played golf or you'd have went fishing or whatever you're going to do. But you know that your babies are going to be at church on Sunday. 
That's how the church becomes stronger is when you get invested and you say, I want to make, I want to be the kind of disciple that I can make a disciple that'll be like me. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying if you're a busybody and a drama queen or king and you're always up in everybody's business and you're always acting ugly to people, that's the kind of disciple you're going to make. If you, if you can't be faithful and you can't show up and you, you don't come to prayer, and uh, what, guess what kind of disciple you're going to have? We're going to have the same kind of disciple that's unplugged. They don't pray. They don't say, well, pastor, you know, I just don't have enough time in the day. Listen, I'm going to tell you all, people that became billionaires became billionaires with 24 hours in a day. And people that became spiritual, godly disciples did it with 24 hours in a day. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also well I, I don't i don't have time i mean by the time i by the time i do this and i do that no listen i'm gonna be honest with you i'm gonna tell you how i work and i know how you work if we want to do something we always have time i don't have time to do nothing until you get tickets to disney I'm so busy. How you been? Oh, God, I'm covered up. Oh, it's awful. Next week, be like, we're going to Amazon. What's the, what's the, what's the other thing called? Bush Gardens. Is that still open? No. We're going, is it? We're going to go into Cedar Point. Like, does anybody even ride roller coasters anymore? I don't know. It hurts me too bad, Brother Greg. I'm, I'm like, Ugh. I'd rather just eat the hot dog, you know what I'm saying? Look, when you really, re listen, when you really, really want to do something, I'm fixing to get down where you're living. It's amazing what happens to your calendar and your checkbook. When you really, really want to do something, you have the time and the money. It's a miracle. And you make it happen. But it's a different kind of pressure. Bishop, I remember when I was a boy and you were pastoring this church. I remember getting in the car, and unless you were lying and covering something up, I hope you weren't, I'd get in the car and it smelled like smoke, because I knew who you just went and picked up from work, been cutting meat, ran them all over the place, people that had nothing to give back in return, nothing, had nothing to give back in return, and Bishop, he'd be running all day long, picking people up, taking care of things. Part of that's his nature. It's what he loves to do. But my, my parents taught me at a young age that pastoring is 5% five per, five of what you're going to do happens behind this pulpit. That's it. That's it. I'm being honest. Yes, sir. Why, why do we have such a burden to do the things that we do with the vision of this church? Why do we have such a burden for daycare, for Christian school, Christian education? Why do we do that? Because we're looking for every single avenue in the world to make disciples. Please understand my spirit is right. I'm not being ugly when I say this. I don't want a whole bunch of apostolic zombies that are going to walk around and be like, say what I say, do what I do. No. I want people that authentically love God. And they're so in love with him that 
It just happens. It just, it, it, intimacy just happens. They spend time in prayer every day. They spend time in the Word every day. You know what? You cannot spend time in prayer in a prayer closet every day and it not pour out of your closet. You can't. You can't. Do you know how many people in this community have never, ever, ever heard me preach? And when I walk in, they go, you're a preacher, aren't you? Like, how'd you know? Like, I don't know. You just, you just, I don't know. I just know. And when I got my wife and kids with me, you know, had that guy at Taco Bell tell me one night, I, I was inviting him to church. All my girls ordered, and then they walked away like normal. I paid the bill. They ordered. Here I am. It's like, we're all lined up. $74 later at Taco Bell. And I'm, I'm up there talking to this guy. I'm trying to be spiritual. I'm like, hey, man, you been here long? Oh, yeah, a couple months been working here. Oh, that's cool. You live in Anderson? Yeah, I'm leading it up. You're leading that? Yeah, I, I live here now for school. Oh, that's cool. Where you go to church? I don't really. I've been looking. Well, good. I'm a pastor. Yeah, I know, he said. I said, yeah? He said, yep. Pentecostal church, 53rd Street. I said, How'd you know? He went, the dresses. <laughs> like, well, I guess it does make a difference. Yeah. People know who we are. We cannot be afraid of actually making their thoughts come true. Come on, somebody. They're like, man, I, I know about you people. Like, you're like one God people. Don't be disappointed, because I'm about to give you an answer. I'm not just Jesus only. I'm Jesus everything. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm going to give it to him tonight, Brother Mike. Come on, somebody. I got, me, I got me an imitator. Brother Mike was putting it on me yesterday in the office. He said, come on, somebody. He said, he said Bishop, you'd have laughed. You'd have been there. That's my buddy back here, Mike Miller. He said, I don't want to, I don't want to imitate you, make fun of you. I said, brother, if anybody's got it coming to them. <laughs> How do I make a disciple? We help mature them. I'm hurrying up. I'm not going to keep you much longer. I want to talk to you about six things, six myths of spiritual maturity. The first myth on spiritual maturity is that spiritual Spiritual maturity and spiritual growth happens automatically once you're born again. It don't. You don't get baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, it's important. It's, it's, it's got to happen if you're going to be saved. That's not my teaching. That's Jesus' teaching. But you don't just get baptized in Jesus' name, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and become spiritually mature. You become spiritually mature when you become intentional about maturing. You spend time with God, you spend time with prayer, you spend time in the book, and you spend time with people. Somebody say amen. amen. We're not a clique, we're the body. Our circle ought to be the easiest circle to penetrate in the world. That's what we've been praying for, it's what we've been hungry for, it's what we've got to have. Come on now. Well, I'll let pastor take care of that. Now, what we're saying is is that disciples are going to be made on Sundays and Wednesdays. You know what happens with disciples that are made on Sunday and Wednesday? 
when COVID hits, they don't make it through because they can't live on video. You know what happens to disciples? They say, I'm going to watch this on video, but I can't wait till I walk back through them doors. And when the doors come open, they're there. Every time the doors are open, they're there because they want to be in the house of God and their disciples. The second myth uh, on spiritual maturity is that spiritual growth and maturity is only attainable by a select few. It's a big myth. I'm, I'm teaching to you things that I know have been said in this assembly right here. Pastor, I'm like, I'm not as spiritual as so-and-so. Well, it's not because you can't be. Your, your, your spirituality is going to be a little bit different as far as your personality. But there's no reason in this world why you can't be as spiritual as somebody else. None. It's not because some are special. I, I get so tired of people making my God out to be a respecter of persons. Well, I'm glad you got the Holy Ghost, but God hadn't given me that gift. Oh, He'll give it to you right now. Well, God's just made some people spiritual pastor like other people share the word. I'm just not that guy. I can't do it. Yeah, you can. You can be spiritual. Well, how do I do it? Can I say this and not sound like I'm being ugly, please? You do it by not doing the same thing you've been doing. If you keep falling into carnality, you know that's not the way to get spiritual. If you keep going back to the same addiction, watching the same stuff, listening to the same sounds, saying the same words, drinking the same thing, popping the same pill, and you haven't got spiritual, you're not going to get spiritual that way. You're going to get spiritual when there's a change in direction. I was in a, a conversation with a man not too long ago. And we had never, ever had a, a conversation about social drinking or anything. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, and I'm going to give you the brief version. He said to me, he said, Pastor, I've been wanting to ask you about this. He said, uh, I don't know about, about drinking wine. He said, I, I have a pretty good collection of wine. He said, but something just came to me the other day. Even with just a small glass, just a very little bit. He said, I'm not the same man I was before I drank it. And he said, I don't think that pleases God. Well, that's because you taught him 85 months of Bible study. I never said a word to him about it. It's people being led by the Spirit of God. People start lining up, start doing things. You don't have to say nothing to them. You're making disciples. Why? Because they start mimicking and watching what we do. You know, they, they say in, in alignment with the, the, the teaching of Jesus, uh, teaching his disciples, the, way that, the language that he would speak, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke was the teaching of the rabbi that was handed down from generation to generation. My yoke is easy. He was saying, my, the yoke that I'm trying to teach you, the thing that I'm trying to put on you, like it's used in the same as a, a yoke put on an animal. He said, my teaching, you got to put it on you and wear it. And he said, my yoke is easy. What I'm putting on you, my burden, it is light. Well, I, I, I don't understand. This is what they would say. They said that, that disciples that followed after the, their teacher so much that uh, after a while... They would literally start imitating the way that they would walk. And, and we have biblical proof of that, that it happened. Because when Judas walked into the garden, he had to literally kiss Jesus on the cheek to identify him. And he was the most famous man in Judea. And Judas walked in. He said, the guy that I kiss is him. Why? 
Why did I have to kiss him? Everybody knew who he was. I'll tell you why. Because I believe that all of the men that were around him, they acted like he acted. They talked like he talked. Well, I don't know about that. I do. Because Peter, the same one that cut off his ear the night of his crucifixion, he's standing there denying him. And the woman looks at him and said, you can't deny him. Your speech betrays you. I know you've been with him. And when we start bringing people on and we let them know his yoke is easy, his burden is light. I don't know what to do. Just follow me as I follow Christ. Well, is, is it true that only spiritual people, that like there, there's like only so many people that, that are spiritual? Absolutely not. Anybody that wants to be spiritual, they can be spiritual. And I'm going to say this. Spiritual is not something you claim to be. Spiritual is something that's obvious in your life. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, when you give an answer, you can tell you sought the Spirit for the answer. When somebody, when somebody comes against you and the Spirit responds with the fruit of the Spirit rather than an angry word, people are like, mm, now that's spiritual. Spiritual is not walking around going hubba, bubba, hubba, bubba, hubba, bubba. Spiritual is being led by the Spirit of God. The third thing is that spiritual maturity can occur instantly if you find the right key. Okay, this is like saying revival's going to happen if we play the right songs. I can be spiritually mature if I just find the key. If I could just find the key that pastors got. Hate to tell y'all that key don't exist. There is no key. You know how Jesus got breakthroughs? He went to the garden and he prayed till the sweat became great drops of blood. He went and sat on the Mount of Olives and looked over Jerusalem and wept and cried and prayed over Jerusalem. Said, how often I've gathered you. It happens through intercession. His disciples came to him and said, we're frustrated. We tried to cast out a devil. We couldn't do it. He said, because you're not spiritual. Now, I know I'm filling in the gaps here. He said, well, how do we get spiritual? He said, this kind's only going out with prayer and fasting. The key is not to find the new thing to do, but to do what we know to do. Somebody say Amen. Fourth thing, that the spiritual maturity is measured by what you know. Your spiritual maturity is measured by your knowledge, not necessarily. Because I know people that have revelation while they're teaching. And now, I, I hate to say this because I think there's a, a vast difference in being ill-prepared and just not knowing in the spirit filling your mouth. So let's not, let's not exaggerate this thing and make it horrible. But I'm telling you, I, I'm a witness of this. That there have been seasons in my life, Brother Haney, when I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have the knowledge to fix the question that they had. And I would say, well, you know what I believe? And it would go. That's not even biblical. It is biblical. He said, he said when they come to persecute you, don't worry about what you're going to say. He said, I'll fill your mouth. Am I telling you the book tonight? Have I walked out of the Bible yet? I don't know, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to say because I don't know very much. I promise you this, you know more right now than you knew before he found you. 
You, 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 you may have been an alcoholic, you may have been a drug addict, you may have been addicted to things, and you don't know the word like Pastor knows the word that's been preaching for 25 plus years. You may not know the word like Brother Snow knows the word that's worked all over the world. You may not know the word like that, but you know more than you knew. And the people that you're dealing with, you can say to them, I may not have an answer for every question, but this is what I know. I once was blind, but now I see, and I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, explain to me exactly how deliverance happens. What's the process? What's it look like? I don't know what the process is. All I know is I came to God and I was addicted. And when I left the church that day, I've never been the same. I got two more. I'm closing. Spiritual growth is a personal and private matter. That's a myth. Spiritual maturity is not a private matter. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's dangerous. When people study on their own, they have no sounding board. They have no covering. They have no authority. They have no body that they're connected to. When I say body, I mean the body of Christ. They're not connected to a church body. It's a dangerous place to be. Well, I'm spiritual enough. I can do this on my own. You're not spiritual at all. You're carnal, and you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. We need the body of Christ. We need men of God that are sounding boards in our life. Listen, if there's some kind of freaky doctrine that comes into your mind and you're like, I don't know, that sounds too crazy. It is. Yes, it is. And if it's a Bible way, it's going to be the Bible way, whether you like it or not. Come on, somebody. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, it is not a private matter. I have never and nobody in this church has ever preached anything across this pulpit that is not biblical. You have better stay in the word and let the word define what you're doing and stay connected to people. If you're defining your relationship by traditional Pentecostal colloquialisms, you have already walked out of the word. Stay connected to the body of Christ. It is not a private matter. It is not a private matter. The word is not given to private interpretation. You had better stay connected to the mainstream. And the last thing, and I close, is that all you need is Bible study to grow. That's not true. If you hand a baby a Bible, by, by baby I don't mean two years old, I mean a new baby in Christ, and say, just go read it. They're going to be like, I don't understand King James. Because they've got it, they gotta go deeper than just what the words say on the page. They gotta understand the heart of the author. You do understand that if somebody just picks up the Bible, we're gonna we're gonna be in big trouble. If somebody picks up the Bible and the, the first page they read for understanding is eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Whoa, I'm going to clean house. I can't wait to get to work on Monday. Boom, boom. God told me to do it. Now, you're a nut. Well, I read it in the Bible. Do you know that the same word is used in the Scripture? The word cleave is used for connecting and disconnecting. You got to have the context of the scripture. You can't just pick up the Bible and say, this is going to make me spiritual. No, it's not. You can read it from cover to cover, and you should. Every year. 
It ought to be a goal at least one time through this book every single year. Read through it. Genesis to Revelation. Get after it. Go for it. Listen to it in your car. Listen to it when you go to bed. Get it in your brain. Listen to the Word. Read the Word. Write the Word. Talk about the Word. But just picking up a Bible and reading it is not the way to spiritual maturity. When you get in the Word of God, and it says, submit yourself to your elders, but you don't submit yourself to your elders. You read it. You didn't become mature. When you, when, when you pick it up, and it says to you, make a joyful noise, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. You're like, whoo, cool. I read it. You're not a worshiper. we got to activate the word in our lives. I want this church to understand. When we make disciples, we cannot just throw them a Bible and say, here you go. Go get it. We've got to love them, nurture them, raise them, spend time with them. And tell them, church starts in the prayer room. I'll see you in there before church starts. Come on now. I was raised that way. I, I, I tried to push against that one time, Brother Snow. My man back here was a pastor. Lived right back here in the parsonage. His time for church. So I hung out, walked up here when it's time for church. My mom was on the organ. I came down the left side. I remember where I was. He decided not to wait till I got to the platform. He got down the side wall and he said, where do you think you're going? I said, I'm going to play the drums. He said, not tonight you're not. What? Son, if you weren't here to pray, you ain't going to play. And I was like, Psh, you don't tell me what to do, man. I'm, that night, he, he knocked my teeth Not really. He said it with love. I'm, I'm sincere. He said it with love, but he taught me a lesson. Seek first the kingdom, no matter what you do. You can't, you can't just pick up a Bible and say, I'm going to be spiritually mature by reading this thing. You have to read it to be mature, but it's not the only thing that makes you mature. We've got to walk in the word. Be led by the word. Come on, somebody. Amen. Let's stand together. This has been fun. It's been long been great. You're, you people are amazing. How many of you are sick and tired of looking at the same faces all the time? Don't. <laughs> I know some wives are like punching in the ribs right now. You better not be sick. <laughs> I want to thank God that he's adding to the church. I want to thank God for the precious people. Amen. God's doing a great work. He's doing a great work, but we got to stay after it in Jesus name. Amen. Let's pray. Master, we honor you. We love you. We thank you for your word and your power. God, there is nothing in this world that's as transformative as your power and your glory and your spirit working in the hearts of humanity. Teach us, Lord, to not just be disciples, but to make disciples. God, let us break the back of every lie and every deception that the enemy has caused us to believe about making disciples. It is not impossible. We can do this, God. We can overcome. Through you, we are more than conquerors and we thank you for it be with your church keep us safe protect us until we come back together again in the mighty name of jesus christ let the church say amen amen, amen. lord bless you